you know, as parents, I would challenge us to also think about, you know, you can't give what you don't have. Mm -hmm. And if we don't have a way of life that nurtures the good life through encountering beauty, recreating with things that are beautiful, if we don't do that, then it's very likely that our children won't either. And I think we've hit the main conversion available to us in this podcast is for us in our daily life, the way we experience our life is a conversion from entertainment to recreation. Welcome to Le Bon V, the podcast on the good life, where we talk about, contemplate, and unapologetically pursue that good and beautiful life. I am one of your hosts, Kyle Alvarado, joined with the, the beautiful deacon today. <laughs> oh, gosh. Splendidly radiant. How are you doing today? Well, I mean, with an intro like that, I'm just confused, but uh, I think I'll I'll pick myself up and gear myself up for this great conversation on the transcendental of beauty to end what has been a very fruitful conversation. I know, Mr. Alvarado, you've heard from many of the community about this conversation on the transcendentals being meaningful to them because this is why we did it. We use these words so often, right? True, good, and beautiful, and one. So to just spend some time talking about what we mean by them and, and how we process this at John Paul the Great Academy has been meaningful to many people, especially parents, but also faculty as well. So I appreciate uh, your insights on this and your conversation with this, Mr. Alvarado. I'm looking forward to beauty. Beautiful, beautiful. <laughs> well, and to be fair, the classical thing, right? Um, you know, I have no unique ideas about the transcendentals. They are all borrowed. They're borrowed from you know, these thinkers in the great tradition that have pondered these ideas. I mean, these ideas, they are, they're powerful. They're powerful. So, you know, when, when we learn about something new, we tend to start seeing it everywhere. And I think we, mm-hmm. we have talked about this before, but, but it's just so, I think, important for showing how important the life of the mind is for the life of the, the whole man, the whole person. Uh, the example of, you know, we learn about a new kind of car and then all of a sudden it, it like it's like it appears everywhere on the mm-hmm. road and our experience of the world has a definite shift. It changes, but the world didn't change. We did. Mm-hmm. An idea entered the life of our mind and then n- nourished our ability to attend to being. Well, and I think today's example is... A profound example of that because beauty is so misunderstood culturally yeah that it it actually becomes the opposite of what it is right but yet we talk about it so little in its true sense so there really is this conversion to beauty that can take place and so if our listeners and ourselves like this what's available to us is a profound conversion to being when we consider what beauty actually is, that it's not simply a, an emotional response 
to things or people or a preference. It's not a preference. It's not a preference, but it's actually a mode of union with being, you know, that it's, it's a, a response that we have to being itself. Um, now beauty, of course, like all the transcendentals, just to remind our listeners of what we're talking about. Beauty is an aspect of all being, of being itself. Um, yeah. beings are beautiful. Being is beautiful. And, um, and so beauty is not in the eye of the beholder per se, but it starts in reality. And so this discussion today is all about, you know, how do we dispose ourselves to a, a proper relationship with reality as beautiful? Well said. Yeah, idea, ideas are powerful. They, when we encounter truth in the ideas that enter our, the life of our mind, they convert us, as you, as you pointed out. And... Yeah. What ideas are going to be more powerful than those ideas which are coextensive with being, mm-hmm. like the transcendentals? Um, and as we talked about in the previous episode, we tend to think of you know these noble ideas and these noble things as an armchair roped off. But beauty is is a particularly important transcendental that helps us cut that rope and sit in the chair. You know, mm-hmm. not just admire it, but you know, actually relate to it as good. As we talked about, that goodness is to be affirmed, pursued, and ev- it should evoke gratitude. Mm-hmm. Well, as we've seen, truth is about the intellect. It's the intellect uh, conforming to being, uh, being as knowable, as intelligible. And goodness is about the will, um, the will seeking that which perfects, that which perfects nature. And beauty, however, is a kind of synthesis of these two spiritual faculties of of the intellect and the will. Because, well, to encounter something as beautiful is to kind of be taken out of the self Mm -hmm. in in an instant, right? Uh, There's something timeless about the encounter of beauty. And on the one hand, it, it clarifies and sheds light. It enlightens the intellect. But on the other hand, it it nourishes the will and attracts it to something other than itself, other other than you know the just the beautiful thing. So it's a real conversion of both intellect and will when we are able to encounter beauty. I think what you're saying is very insightful and important because this happens whether we see it happening or not. Yeah, <clears throat> things captivate us and they draw us. And this transcendental beauty, so like you talked about with goodness related to the will where a being has perfection it can offer me. And once I possess that being, its perfection is now part of my being, right? So this this idea of goodness. Well, in beauty, it's this being is going to captivate me. So I'm not not possessing this thing. It's possessing me, right? So the being possessing me and ordering me. Right. So like in my intellect, my intellect orders all of my lower powers, like we talked about with truth. And my will chooses that order and loves that order. Right. But when things are beautiful, they captivate us. They that word captivate like head is the root. They become our head. They order. Yeah. They order us. We don't order it. You know, right. The beautiful thing orders me. And so. I love what you said about how it's a synthesis of intellect and will in that we become ordered by reality as beautiful and we're, and we like it. 
we delight in it. Yeah. Um, St. Thomas Aquinas draw, you know, emphasizes that aspect of beauty, that it's a delight in being mm-hmm. that captivates us and reorders us or, or it, it, um, it's, it synthesizes all of us by captivating us in our delight. Yeah, I love that. It's profoundly Eucharistic. I, w- I want to return to St. Thomas's definition in a bit, but um, I want to elaborate what I mean by, you know, beauty is profoundly Eucharistic, mm-hmm. that, you know, when we are able to receive Holy Communion, in in terms of physical reality, we receive the Eucharist, our body breaks it down and makes it part of itself. You know, that's what we do with all food. But spiritually, what's happening is we are broken down and made part of Christ's body through the reception of the Eucharist. So it, it, it's, a, it's a captivating consummation. I love that. And this is our faith, right? So we say that Jesus Christ is the head of the church, right? This is, right. And, and not just on earth, like when he was on earth. Right now, Jesus Christ, who's risen from the dead, still alive, is still the head of our church. The Pope is his vicar on earth, but not because the Lord is not at work. He is at work. And this work is beautiful, right? It's captivating. This is the invasion of grace that, you know, the greats like St. Augustine talk about. You know, you called and you shouted and you broke through my deafness and you broke through, you shone through my blindness. And that invasion of grace that captivates us, that gets through our hard head, you know, our fallen intellect, gets through our stubborn will, God has to order us. Um, we have to be ordered by him. We call this grace. And this is beautiful. This is, in fact, this experience of beauty with God that Christ captivates us and becomes our head. Um, and this happens in the Eucharist, as you says. This is the concrete experience of that, <clears throat> that beholding Jesus Christ in the Eucharist. What's our, what's our natural response? Awe and wonder and adoration. In other words, beauty, right? Like we... We recognize the beauty of what's in front of us, and we're captivated by it and ordered by it through grace. And what, what you just described, that response, is also the, the uh, most fitting response to the transcendental of unity. And that you know, awe mm-hmm. and wonder and contemplation. And so on that note, I'd like to return to St. Thomas's definition because I think it's important for us to define our terms, and in particular to distinguish, we we use beauty in two senses. The first sense is uh, aesthetic, or it's about the effect beauty has on us. Mm-hmm. That that would be aesthetic beauty, you know, um, and that 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 tends to be what people think of when they say that beauty is in the eye of the beholder. That. It's a matter of preference or it's a matter of disposition that, you know, you can't, you can't make claims about beauty for other people. This notion that beauty is completely relative and subjective. Mm-hmm. Well, that, that's kind of what aesthetic beauty is. But that's not what we're talking about today. What we're talking about is a kind of beauty referred to as ontological beauty. Beauty in the things themselves, over and above the effect they might have on someone. You know, beauty is 
objective in this sense. It's about real things. And so ontological beauty is what St. Thomas means when he defines beauty as that which, when contemplated, delights. Mm -hmm. Well, in, in, in this ontological beauty, it's, it's much like the other transcendentals, right? There's ontological truth, mm -hmm. truth in itself, the thing is true. And then there's our the conforming of our mind to that truth, where we find truth in our own intellect. Yeah. And in a similar way, beautiful things are beautiful in and of themselves, regardless of whether I can access them or not. You know, so if there's a, a beautiful painting or a beautiful sunset or something like that, well, I may be so dulled in my appreciation of being that I can't see the beauty. I can't access it. I don't see it as beautiful. That doesn't mean it's any less beautiful in and of itself. It, it has the ability to captivate and to del to be delighted in when contemplated, yeah. whether I'm contemplating it or not, right? Right, right. And, and that, I mean, that, that's the fascinating thing that uh, in St. Thomas's definition of ontological beauty um, is that notion, that which, when contemplated, mm -hmm. delights. I really enjoy the word delight, you know, out of light, right? But when we delight in something, it's illuminating. It's radiant. It sheds light upon, well, the world, ourselves, our relationship with the world. But the, one of the things that strikes me most about beauty is that it cannot be, we can't evaluate our relationship with beauty while we're encountering it. Mm -hmm. we, we can do that with truth. We can do that with truth. We can reflect and examine upon the truth of a thing, a relationship with it, while still experiencing truth. And the same with goodness. But once we kind of become self-aware that we're encountering beauty, we exit out of that experience, so to speak. You know. Yeah, and this goes back to what you were saying earlier, which is so important, especially when we consider the Christian awareness of beauty, is that it is kind of like an out-of-self experience. Yeah. And so when you come back to your senses, like you're saying, you're no longer out of yourself. You're now in yourself. And so, but we're talking about that delight that takes you out of yourself to be captivated by the thing. Um, that is the experience or the encounter with beauty that when you come back to your senses, you're no longer in the same state or disposition, right? Right, right. Um, and I, I definitely want to bring that up because of, the power of social media to, in a way, rob us of beauty because it it impels us to want to share an experience before we actually have it. What do you mean? Well, that the focus during an experience of something beautiful is how can I capture this in a way that I can share with others? Mm -hmm. As opposed to beholding it, you know, to behold something is to be held by it in a way to be arrested. And if you imagine the kind of cognition that's involved when someone, you know, takes a, a beautiful picture to share on whatever social media thing they're using, mm -hmm. I'm so out of touch. Um, <laughs> but that requires some planning and some cognition that is not contemplative 
Because contemplation doesn't involve cognition, it involves intuition, which is distinct. You know, meditation, meditatio, that's cognitive. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that is our intellect um, being nourished by our cognitive faculties. We're thinking. We're mm-hmm. thinking critically about something and intentionally. But contemplation is not self-directed cognition, but rather being willing to follow where our intuition goes. Our intuition of, of something, our intuitive encounter with being, in a way, directs our intellect. And so in contemplation, our intellect is being directed. In meditation, we are directing our intellect. Mm-hmm. And so I think that distinction is important because, again, this tendency to want to you know, snap a picture, well, that involves some planning about how to take the picture and, and lighting and all this stuff, like how to make the best looking picture. Well, that is not experiencing the thing that you're photographing. It, it robs you of that experience because... Instead of being led by this intuitive um, propulsion towards something as beautiful, you exit out of that quickly so that you can capture and share it. I guess you're describing this um, dynamic of the intellect of two different abilities. This ability to think and discover truth, so like reasoning. Yeah. So I'm going to think about something and find new truth through the thought process and this is something like maybe, you know, taking taking a sip of water and processing it, right? Right. But what you're describing is another ability of the intellect, which is intuition, which is before reality, I'm just going to drink it all in. And so instead of like taking that cup of water and processing it, it's more like getting a fire hose of water to the face. <laughs> and you can't do anything. Like you're stuck, right? You're just getting the water in your face and it's just a lot, right? right? And once you turn away from that, well, then you might have some in your mouth that you can process. <laughs> but yeah, the, the experience of getting blown in the face by the water, which is captivating, which is arresting, which is stunning, is a much more profound experience of water than taking a little sip from a glass, right? Like, right. Um, and, and this is why contemplation is a greater prayer than meditation. I mean, meditation is important, and we should meditate. We should take God's word in like that glass of water and process it and let God reveal to us what's contained in that glass of water for sure. But contemplation is this experience of getting hit in the face with with you know, a water hose where God's just going to blast us. And it's wonderful, and it's awesome, it's arresting, or it's very painful and we don't understand, you know, like this this dark night experience. Either way, it's a blast to the face. And we have this encounter because we have an intellect. The intellect not only measures reality through our reason, not only like figures out what's in the glass of water, but it's also a window to reality beyond what we can measure. That through our intellect, we can get blasted in the face <laughs> with <laughs> with being. And in, and in particular, for the Christian, this goal of being blasted in the face by God himself, that we would be open to him, wounded by him, the way St. Augustine put it, or struck with an arrow, the way St. Teresa put it, right? Like contemplation wounds and hurts uh, because it's so big and so amazing. Yeah. There, there's two really important things going on with what you just said. The first is that um, beauty involves pain because... When we encounter something beautiful, it evokes longing, and longing is is very closely tied uh, with pain. Yeah. But 
you know, if we're not free, and here's the second thing I think that was important with what you just said. If we're not free persons, you know, if we haven't cultivated freedom, then our instinct will always be to avoid pain. Mm -hmm. But the free person, uh, the person who has cultivated that freedom is free to be held by something beautiful, to enter into that longing and pain instead of simply trying to take a picture of it and avoid it. Yeah. And maybe an analogy might might help here for like daily living. So the pain that comes from a person who understands classical music and appreciates its beauty or music itself, I should say, because classical music is just, just like all classical cultural things. It's, you know, the most noble, the most good to pursue what it is in itself. Like what is music and, 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 you know, pursue that being. But if you, if you've pursued that for a time, right, if you've disciplined yourself and you, you're able to access the beauty of Mozart or Palestrina or something like that, and then you turn on whatever the top pop music is or like iTunes top music today, right? It's going to hurt. Like you're going to listen to that thing because you've accessed beauty. You've been wounded by it. Now you experience the disorder, the ugliness of the world, right? Right. And it creates this longing for the beauty that you had experienced. You know, it's not just disgusting that you're experiencing. It's also this longing for true music, true beauty, right? Um, but yeah. if, you, if you've never experienced that or if you've never been able to access it, then uh, you don't feel that pain. And so you listen to that number one song that's gross and disgusting and, and no one should ever hear it. And you're like, this is awesome. <laughs> you <Yeah>. know? <laughs> well, there's something so sad and, and tragic about that. Because, well, we need recreation. We do. We do. You know, recreation, recreation. We need to be created afresh, recreated. But the problem is when our dominant form of recreation is entertainment, then, well, the issue is that we are seeking beauty in something that doesn't have harmony with reality or, or is lacking in its harmony with reality. I mean, it's I'm, I'm probably going to upset a lot of people. And Bring it. Yeah. Wound me. It, it's <laughs> disgusting to me that people are entertained by the show or, or that Catholics are entertained by the show Friends. And here's why. And you just lost some friends, sir. Well, so be it. And gain some, so. Look, here's the here's the big ugliness of that show. Time and time again, it makes a joke or it makes light of the consequences of sin. Mm-hmm. And in fact, perverts it to the point of showing that the pursuit of sin will make you happy, successful, and enrich your relationships. You know, that's a big driving... Um, feature of the plot of that show. Mm-hmm. And that is so disconnected from reality. Mm-hmm. And so when you allow yourself to be entertained by that, let's think about, you know, what are you doing? What are you doing? It, it, it's like, it, it's like a more dangerous placebo of beauty. Um, placebos kind of, 
do no harm, right? They're just mm-hmm. a sugar pill as opposed to the actual medicine. But this is worse. It, it's like taking the opposite kind of medicine where when when you are pursuing something for the sake of beauty, whether you know it or not, when you seek to be entertained and to kind of just, I just want to relax, you know, I just want to take my mind off things. Mm-hmm. Well, that's exactly what beauty demands of us, you know, to in a way relax, take our mind off things, to lose our sense of self, to be held by something. And when we're entertained, we are being converted. Mm-hmm. And when we're entertained by things that reinforce a vision of reality that is perverse and distorted, it's tragic. We're and, doing harm to ourselves. Well, I think an analogy that <clears throat> would connect with a lot of our parents, maybe in a frustrating way, of that harm would yeah. be, let's say we live in a in a home where there's a place set outside, beautiful trees to enjoy, maybe some flowers. There's like all kinds of things to do outside, but our kid wants to stay inside playing video games or watching tv or like and so there's all this beauty available outside but over time when we seek to entertain versus recreate and i love i love that difference well the harm that's done is that beauty no longer captivates us no longer orders us yeah and so that the abil- the disposition we should have to let beautiful things order us we don't have that disposition anymore. And so we look outside, you know, the kid looks outside, see the playset, see the trees, see the sunset, see all the beautiful things available and no longer lets it order them. Or more to the point, they don't delight in it. They don't see the light of it. And well, so they be, they prefer indoors, right? They're, yeah, they're robbed of contemplation. And again, St. Thomas's definition of ontological beauty is so powerful, that which when contemplated, mm-hmm. delights. But, you know, as parents, I would challenge us to also think about, you know, y- you can't give what you don't have. Mm-hmm. And if we don't have a way of life that nurtures the good life through encountering beauty, recreating with things that are beautiful, if we don't do that, then it it's very likely that our children won't either. And I think and- we've hit the main conversion available to us in this podcast is... For us in our daily life, the way we experience our life is a conversion from entertainment to recreation. I mean, that's one of the main things we can ponder from this episode because, yeah. I mean, the term recreate, like you said, did anyone create themselves? No. No. Right? Creation by definition is a higher being giving life, giving existence, well, to to a being that would be nothing without it, right? So it's, it's this concept of no nobility in being something great ordering something less that's recreation and so beauty is true the experience of beauty i should say is true recreation because the thing that is more noble than i am the thing that is greater than i am orders me through a delightful experience now i'm recreated there's something in me that is now alive that wasn't alive before yeah. But entertainment is the exact opposite. I look to what's lower than me to take my mind off of it, like you said. So instead yeah. of my mind being arrested by something greater, it's lulled to sleep by something lower. And so I'm not recreated at all. This is why those who binge watch want to keep binge watching and need to binge watch again. And when you finish that series, you need a new series. And you need a new series, right? Why? Right. Because you're not actually being recreated. You're not recreating it's like the potato chips versus the potato. 
Yeah. You're going to keep going back for the potato chips because they're not actually nourishing. But but your your experience of beauty is not simply malnourished. It's malnourished for sure, but there's also a harm like you were describing yeah. where I'm less likely to now recreate. The more entertained I am, the less likely I am to even want recreation, even want beautiful things in my life. Yeah, yeah. It's not to say that there's never a role for entertainment. Mm-hmm. Um, for all the people that I made upset by talking about <laughs> friends, hopefully you'll see. Um, I'll give a different show that in a way is very beautiful around the same time and was, I believe, more successful in terms of viewership. Really? More Seinfeld. successful than Friends. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Seinfeld. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Well, What's the big difference between Seinfeld and Friends? One of the key differences is that the characters in Seinfeld are always hilariously punished for the pursuit of sin and vice. They're right. never um they're never portrayed as growing in happiness through the pursuit of sin and vice, but rather uh being made miserable and um punished for it. And so what does Seinfeld do that Friends doesn't do? Seinfeld has a certain harmony with reality that Friends doesn't. And You're right. That That's the nature of something beautiful. In order to be beautiful, ontologically, it has to harmonize with reality. As opposed to being dissident with reality. Yeah, so in contemplating that thing, reality has now captivated me versus false falsity captivating me right like what is captivating and ordering me so for example if i love seinfeld i'm gonna tell people about it i'm gonna make sure i watch it like it's gonna order me when we experience beauty in that way and if i love friends i'm gonna do the same thing if i love anything right like this experience of beauty or entertainment or whatever when i'm captivated by something it orders my life it does i become ordered by it i will have a certain schedule because of it i will have i will talk about certain topics because of it right and so that kind of decision needs to be made in the home to distinguish like what you just said to distinguish is this thing we're watching pure entertainment because again there's nothing wrong with entertainment um etymologically it just means like inter between and tain is like uh holding like detainment so yeah. you're just holding between between one moment to the next we're going to hold on to something so you know kind of a distraction which is fine. And there's a lot of beautiful things like Seinfeld um Shakespearean plays whatever that are entertaining as well. Like when we behold beauty there's a certain entertainment value that if I'm going to sit down for 2 hours I don't want it to feel like 2 hours, right? Like I want right. to feel like between point A and point B I was held or like it you know my time was was accounted for and it didn't feel like a burden or anything so it's important to have entertainment but we got to respect the hierarchy exactly like with food and i think we talked about this earlier with food you know um if we are ordering our appetite for food uh by the value of health uh could we ever eat boudin balls (laughs) i don't know i don't i don't think so well I'm going to I'm going to push back on that and okay. argue through beauty that yes yes we can but first I want to 
I want to paint this picture that, um, well, one, driving home the point that I think we're, we're, we keep coming back to, and I need to be challenged on, and I'm hoping our listeners challenge themselves on this, uh, reflect on what you find beautiful. Mm-hmm. We should care about what entertains us and what captivates us and whether or not these things are good for us. Um, because sometimes, well, not sometimes, I mean, let's be real about the reality of sin. And sin is going to twist our desires mm-hmm. and make us attracted to things that aren't good for us. And so it's not to, it's not to become a bad Stoic, and I'm saying bad Stoic because, you know, the real Stoics are quite different from how most people portray them today, but it's not to cut ourselves off from desire, but rather to increase and enhance our relationship with our desires, to make sure that what we are attracted to, well, is unifying, is true, is good, and that when we experience it, we encounter beauty. And one of the important ways to start this examination is to keep track of your time. How much time do you spend doing different things? How much time, what percent of your waking hours do you spend being entertained? And maybe thinking about that in a new light based on today's episode, because I think most of us have gone through an examination like that where we need to time budget, you know, like how much time do I spend doing all these things and what's good for us to do as a family? I think a lot of us have had that conversation, but we've probably thought about it in terms of, you know, intellect and will in the sense of, you know, I need to, we need to make different choices. We need to choose differently, right? Yeah. But I hope we don't hear just that from what you just said, but I hope we hear this reality that things are ordering us. We are right. being captivated by things. There are lights that we are following, and our schedule reflects that too. So not our intentional choices necessarily, our rational thoughts, but also, and, and more importantly in this context of beauty, We are all as a family being captivated by things, by things that are beautiful, and our schedule reflects that. What we decide, our choices flow not just from our measured reason, but from what captivates us and orders us. Yeah, we we are not helpless with regard to our preferences and with regard to what attracts us. Many of us, I think, feel stuck that, look, this is just what I enjoy, but we're not helpless with regard to our desires and what we enjoy. Mm-hmm. And we ought to be making strides to grow in beauty. And I'm not talking about, you know, makeup or being attractive here. There's um, not much I can do about that. Right, right. But rather instead, um, to be attentive to the conversion that happens when we learn how to enter into beauty. You know, certain things we have to learn how to enjoy. Mm-hmm. Um, and returning back to food, <laughs> when, when our, our relationship with food, when we experience food as simply that which shuts up my desire for hunger... You know, we just kind of respond to wanting to reduce the pain and discomfort of 
of hunger. If that's our relationship, then we're going to distort our appetite. Mm -hmm. We're going to then be attracted to more and more things that are a perversion of nutrition. Yeah, and, and I would love to offer maybe two examples to drive that home. One would be Mother Teresa. So, so we're talking about how beauty is, there's this aspect of delight, right? Out of the light. And so beautiful things radiate a light and it captivates us, attracts us, and we enjoy it, right? We kind of bathe in that light. And the more we allow beautiful things to order us, particularly God, the more we have that same light, the more we are beautiful. So Mother Teresa is not, you know, there's nothing about her, naturally speaking, about her body, about whatever. She didn't, you know, do all the morning and night routines that a lot of women do to look beautiful. I mean, it wasn't, that wasn't her life, but she was so captivating to everyone who saw her. In other words, beautiful. The light in her was clear. You know, people said they felt like they were um, with God when they were with Mother Teresa, but not everybody felt that way. So as beautiful as we might all agree, who are people of faith, there were people who hated Mother Teresa. Oh, yeah. So think about that. And then second, think about our Lord himself, the most beautiful. St. John's Gospel talks about how people prefer the darkness to the light. This is what happens in sin. We want darkness. We don't want the light of beauty. We don't want the light of God, who is beauty himself, to shine on us. We prefer the darkness to light. And this is the corruption that can happen with sin. And if we're not careful... Sin is captivating because it's a type of light. Lucifer, the light bearer, right? He captivates yeah. with his temptations, distorting light. And, and so we can reject. We can, like St. John describes, we can be people who prefer darkness to the light, the types of people who hated Mother Teresa, if we're not careful, and if we're not careful about what captivates us in our homes. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, that's, that's exactly what I'm getting at when I... Talk about the fact that we are not helpless with regard to our, our desires and what attracts us. Because, yeah, the person who orders their appetite for food uh, for the value of health, well, then their ability to enjoy nutrition grows. Mm -hmm. But it takes pain and discipline to get there. Um, and here's why the transcendental beauty allows us to still order our appetite for food, buy health, and enjoy boudin balls. Because uh, unlock that secret for us. Health is about more than the body. Ah, uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Health is about more than the body. And there's just something <laughs> to being able to enjoy food with, with good people. Mm -hmm. And... When we consider the fact that we're not we're not made to suffer, that is not what we're made for. But sometimes that can be how we end up approaching life as Catholics. You know, mm -hmm. our um, our asceticism can go haywire, and we can feel bad or guilty for enjoying anything. But the proclamation of the kingdom of God is that great mystery that it is both here and not yet. Mm -hmm. That when we are able to encounter beauty, even beauty in food, when there's that great harmony where our, 
our desires are um, met by a desirable object in a way that, you know, oh, ça c'est bon, right? When you eat something and that's your response, it's a kind of almost an out-of-body experience of Absolutely. the goodness of it. These things are important for us in a way they're like sacraments that are these external signs that point to and give us a glimpse of the eternal glory that awaits us in heaven. Mm -hmm. And so these encounters of beauty, we ought not rob ourselves of. So when we consider health in this greater sense as that which orders us to eternity, not just to a physically fit body, then given the transcendental beauty, we can still pursue our hunger with Buddha balls and still have that order to health. This will go down in, in history. I think 200 years from now, people will look back, much like we do at St. Thomas Aquinas for the five proofs of the existence of God. We'll look back and see Alvarado's proof for the beauty of Buddha balls, the nobility of Buddha balls. Yes. So thank you for that. <laughs> well, it's a Cajun classic. <laughs> um, yeah, and the... The importance, the importance of training our appetite in those moments to not be simply the delight of the senses, but the delight in the harmony, proportionality, and glory of the thing is important. Because if, so for example, you mentioned sharing Buddha balls with friends. So what would be unhealthy in all senses, and, and I'm bringing this up as an example that's important because we do this in our society is for me to be so captivated by boudin balls that I get them every day and that by myself in my room, I'm just chowing down on them. And I'm like, this is great, preparing me for heaven. Well, not necessarily. And it's not just a matter of mo moderation either because what's captivating me about those boudin balls is not the most noble thing about it, but mm. the sensory experience of it, which is not the most noble thing about it. The most noble thing about it is the harmony and proportionality of the thing itself, like admiring the recipe and the time it took to make it and all these things. But even more noble than that is the culture, the, the persons that made this happen and, and the people I can share this experience with. That's the most noble thing about the boot hand ball, right? Right. And so a lot of us struggle, whether it's with alcohol or, or other, you know, food items or, or even just whatever we enjoy doing, hobbies, is that because of our culture today, we're encouraged to just isolate, let these things isolate ourselves. They, they, they captivate us in a way that's unhealthy. But rather, the, if we learn beauty, if we learn to have a proper disposition of beauty for the most noble thing is the light that we're seeking, it'll actually draw us to community yeah. rather than to isolation. Well, beauty should increase charity. The encounter of, of, of beauty ought to increase our charity. But yeah, when, when we love good things in the wrong way or for the wrong reasons, if we idolize them, that'll decrease our charity. Mm -hmm. So that, that would be a wrong relationship with something that, that is beautiful. And yeah, it, there's just something so profound about the invitation of the Lord, uh, come and see, or if you will, come and become someone who sees. Mm. Mm -hmm. Well, that, that's kind of what beauty does, right? When we encounter beauty, it... Well, I talked about it synthesizing intellect and will, but really it synthesizes intellect, will, and passions. Yeah, all of us. Yeah. 
Yeah, and orient us at something beyond us. Yes, which is what we're all made for. I mean, that experience of heaven, of seeing God face to face, seeing the communion of saints, seeing is is that experience. It's that delighting in the light of God himself and being captivated and never moving on. So you mentioned in this life, our experience of beauty is momentary. Mm-hmm. And that's important to bring up. Like <clears throat> none of us can live on the mountaintop of beauty day to day. We can have moments of experiencing it for sure. Um, but then we, we we come back to our senses, right? Like we have right. to, this is human life. We have to do the dishes and the laundry. Like we can't just, you know, but in heaven, we are constantly, like eternally, without end, without no next moment, we are captivated by the beauty of God, the light of God that radiates from his glory. We're able to see it and delight in it, and there's no next moment. And this is one of the reasons why we can't be alive on earth and in heaven at the same time. In the Old Testament, if you touched God, you died. Remember that? Or like if you came yeah. too close to the beauty you would have to die. And St. Teresa of Avila talks about this as, yes, that makes so much sense because if I could be captivated, it would take me out of my body. Like if I could see the beauty of God face to face, it would so captivate me that I could do nothing else in this life. Like I couldn't eat, I couldn't sleep, I couldn't do anything else. And so this is one of the reasons we have to die to experience the beauty of God is that our, our nature has to be glorified in such a way that it can be arrested for all eternity by God's beauty. Yeah, yeah. If, if we want to see God, and that's important for us to remember as Catholics, at the heart of beauty is God. Mm-hmm. And it is, is the Word, is Jesus. And if we want to see God, as Jesus tells us, well, it <sighs> requires purity of heart. Ah. Uh-huh. Blessed mm-hmm. are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Well, what does that purity look like whenever we think about, you know, the intellect, will, and the passions and beauty as something that synthesizes them? Well, it's whenever we are able to love good things in order, you know, respecting the hierarchy of being here, respecting their order, how this good thing is in relation to God. Um, and that requires a certain disposition of the intellect, that metaphysical conversion, where our intellect is nourished on what is true. But it also requires the freedom that comes with temperance, because we don't exercise temperance for bad things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I it it would it sounds silly because it's supposed to, because it's nonsensical to say you know i'm i'm gonna start exercising more temperance with my heroin use <laughs> uh that's not temperance mm-hmm. um temperance is not about avoiding sin rather temperance is about moderating our attraction to goods we practice temperance over something not because it's bad but because it's good and because temperance frees us to encounter that good as beautiful and to me, this is the Martha Mary scenario. And we've, we've talked about this on past episodes, this, this idea of the one thing necessary. Yeah. I can only order myself to that one thing necessary so much. But if I'm ordered by the beauty of God, there's nothing else I can do but stay at his feet. Yeah. 
right? So Mary was not just drawn to the feet of Jesus because she had the proper discipline, but it was her proper discipline that allowed her to see the beauty of who was in there and be captivated by it. And then she could do nothing else but sit at his feet. And so I think Martha represents that that idea of, of the work, the discipline, the the effort I make to order my life, which is good. It's not like it's a bad thing. Um, but if I do that in such a way that dulls my ability to be captivated, right? Like everything in my life needs to be measured and disciplined and, and structured in such a way that I'm no longer open to the spontaneity of beauty. I'm no longer open to Christ who's just going to show up in my house one day and I have to be attentive to him or at my school one day or, you know, like there's a certain, the wind blows where it wills reality to the Holy Spirit that if I, the discipline when done right makes us available for the spontaneity of beauty. It makes us available for Christ who could walk in at any moment and we'd be drawn to his feet instead of anxious and worried about many things. True discipline is oriented to the beautiful thing whenever God shows up, that I'm ready to contemplate it and sit in his feet. And this is where the saints are. I mean, the saints are truly disciplined because they contemplate God throughout their day whenever God wants to be contemplated. Yeah. Well, it it shows an important thing about discipline that by true discipline we mean the discipline that that leads to to freedom. And mm-hmm. discipline if it's to lead to freedom must increase docility and not control. But when we pursue discipline for the sake of wanting to gain control, that's when we become like the Martha that we're so obsessed with control as opposed to docility, that critical openness to the presence of God, then we lose the freedom to respond appropriately to beauty. But at this point, I'm going to just put this out there that there's a big question about beauty that I wanted us to tackle, but Mm -hmm. we're running low on time. Yeah. (laughs) And so I think, I think a way to, translate this great conversation about ontological beauty into a way of living out the home mm-hmm. is to look at the question is the crucifixion of Christ beautiful mm-hmm. we don't have time to answer it right now but I kind of want to leave that question out there it's a great question yeah because if we say yes there's a problem there you know, the most perfect thing was murdered. How is that beautiful? Mm-hmm. And if we say no, then what does that say about, well, then something that has accomplished for us the kind of harmony that we've been talking about that beautiful things have, mm-hmm. is it devoid of that? Because it's what accomplished it. So anyway, it's a great mystery. And I think by talking about that, it shows us how to carry the cross in the home in a way that pursues beauty. So I propose let's sit with that question before next time and end this episode with a quote from Pope St. John Paul the Great and maybe even start next episode with it because it's that good. Awesome. Hit us with it. All right. At at an audience that Pope St. John Paul the Great gave... um, on August 19th in 2000, he speaks 
It is Jesus that you seek when you dream of happiness. He is waiting for you when nothing else you find satisfies you. He is the beauty to which you are so attracted. It is He who provoked you with that thirst for fullness that will not let you settle for compromise. It is He who urges you to shed the masks of a false life. It is He who reads in your heart your most genuine choices, the choices that others try to stifle. Yes, that is a segue quote because we have to dive into that. And maybe our next episode, once we pick this up, is um, you know, on that that centrality of Christ, right? Like we talk about the transcendentals being itself, right? But we know that from our Christian faith, being has a name, like that yeah. being took on flesh, and the truth Himself, goodness Himself, beauty itself is available to us through a human relationship. This is amazing. Yeah, so on the next episode, Incarnational Beauty. Mm. It's what's for dinner. Well, thanks so much for uh, for this conversation, this beautiful conversation, Mr. Alvarado. Yeah, I want to encourage everyone to, you know, please keep, keep letting us know. Um, keep letting us know if this, if this podcast impacts you or, or if you have ideas about you know, things you would want to hear more about, um, mm-hmm. let us know. Awesome. Well, till next time, live the good life, folks. Vive le bon vie. Vive le bon vie.